it was the summertime. We were having a party by the pool. And long story short, I dove into the pool and I hit my head on the bottom. That experience resulted in a broken neck. When people break their necks, they don't usually survive. They Maybe they die instantaneously. Maybe they become a quadriplegic. Maybe become they, they become a paraplegic. Maybe they suffer brain damage. Maybe they have debilitating pain for the rest of their life. But like none of that happened to me. I was literally walking away from this situation scotch-free. If something like this ever happens again, I never, ever want to regret not taking advantage of an opportunity. Welcome to the Nomad Podcast, where we discuss inspiring stories of lifestyle transition and how to thrive in a location-independent existence. Nomad Podcast is supported in part by Nomad Prep, an online academy to help aspiring digital nomads make a successful transition. And now here's your host, Sean Tierney. Krista broke her neck diving into a pool at a party in college the week before she was scheduled to leave for her study abroad program. After a painful surgery and a long road to recovery, she ultimately escaped a situation which could have been otherwise tragic with nothing more than a couple fused vertebrae. That experience profoundly affected her and many countries and bucket list items later, she now lives each day as if it were her last. I've gotten to know Krista from a couple different overlapping nomadic trips now, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you as we learn about Krista's philosophy to travel, her early participation in Wi-Fi Tribe, how she's grown her Instagram following to over 16,000 people, the marketing work that she does remotely for a startup, her Instagram or weekend bootcamp program, and plenty more. But before we dig into this conversation, please listen to a quick word with our sponsor. It's important to have travel insurance as a nomad because stuff happens while we're on the road. And while we hope for the best, we need to always plan for the worst. If you're investigating insurance options, check out Safety Wing. Safety Wing is travel medical insurance specifically designed for nomads. Unlike other providers, you can buy it when you're already on the road and you don't need to continuously update them on when and where you're going next. You just have one monthly subscription that covers you wherever you go for both travel and medical. And if you shop around, you'll find it's about a third of the price of other providers. Visit nomadpodcast.com slash safety wing to get a quote today. And now here's the interview. Hey, everybody. This is Sean with the Nomad Podcast. I am sitting across from Krista of Krista Bella Travels. Krista is a full-time traveler, having traveled for over 50 countries in the past five years. Uh, She does marketing strategy for a tech startup and app called Bubble Up. She's an Instagram micro-influencer with over 15,000 followers. Her current side hustle is Instagrammer Weekend. This is an event designed to convey all the strategies and tactics that she's used to grow that following. Krista, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here. (laughs) Great. First off, why don't you tell me what does Bubble Up do? I've never heard of this app before. So you wouldn't have heard of Bubble Up before because we actually just launched it um, a couple of weeks ago. But it is basically a cloud storage tool, but a super fun visual cloud storage tool that the best way to explain it is like Pinterest meets Dropbox, where you can save links in a visual format in the same folder space as your files and documents and images and whatever you want. So it's a great tool for researching anything. 
So it's yeah. for, for people that are doing research, a, a visual way of doing that, like Pocket was the app that I mentioned that I use that might be kind of a similar function, but it sounds like this is maybe a more visual Pocket. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And when when we say research, it's kind of like, you know, I research where to go to dinner in Lisbon, which is where we happen to be right now. So it doesn't have to be like the dry kind of research. Fun stuff too. Cool. Right. So Let's talk about you are a micro influencer. What does that term mean for the people that have never heard micro influencer? Uh, a micro influencer just means that you have a following on Instagram. Yeah, it usually refers to. I guess you could be a micro influencer on other platforms as well. You know, an influencer influencer might have over fifty thousand followers. Um, a micro influencer would have less than that. Um, so I have fifteen thousand followers. But uh, I get a lot of influencer perks still. A lot of brands reach out to me to work with me to help promote their products or their services. Is it weird having that many people follow your life day to day? Like it's got to be strange to have 15,000 people that know what you do every day. (laughs) Yeah, so it is a little bit. um, But I don't think about it that often. Like it's just – I don't know, followers like really feel like a number, I guess. But at the same time, anybody that DMs me, usually I I respond. So that is becoming increasingly overwhelming or increasingly time consuming anyway. I do love it. But yeah, no, it's crazy. Like that's enough people to fill like a a small. Yeah, (laughs) that's weird. (laughs) Let's stop talking about it. (laughs) It's weird when you think about it that way. I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh, Crazy. And what do you attribute that following to? Um, I attribute it to the fact that I've got a a strategy with my Instagram. My Instagram's really, I only talk about specific things such as being a digital nomad and being a full-time traveler. Nice. And so Helen was uh, a guest two episodes ago. She has a similar level of following. Helen's one of my best friends, by the way, who I travel with a lot and Sean's uh, interviewed her before too. Shout out to Helen. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Helen. (laughs) Um, so, but you guys come at it, it seems like from different angles. She came at it from really like a design background and you have, I believe, a journalism communications background. Mm-hmm. So you guys approach it slightly differently. Um, can you talk about what your strategy is? You have this Instagram or weekend thing. So you've thought a lot about this and you clearly know what you're doing. Um, can you just kind of break it down for us? Like, what are you doing? What, what, how, how did you do this? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, like everybody's strategy should be different. Um, unless someone is also a digital nomad travel girl like me, then maybe they would have the same exact strategy. And even my friend Helen, who who is a digital nomad travel girl, like she hers is even slightly different because she's a different person. So she talks about slightly different things. So, yeah, basically a strategy – If anyone wants to grow their Instagram, the number one thing is to have a strategy for it because the the concept is when people discover your feed and they can discover your feed in all different kinds of ways. But let's say that you leave a comment on someone's post. So they say, oh, who is this person that left a comment? And then they click on your name and they see your profile. And then what do they do next? They have usually they'll give it like a second to decide if they want to follow you or not. Um, or to decide if they want to continue investigating into your feed. So your like the the aesthetic of your feed is obviously the first and most important thing because it's the visual attention getter. Um, having a bio that clearly articulates exactly what you are about is also extremely important. And then, um, you know, creating content that reflects that strategy, that personal brand that you have developed 
um, also is extremely important. So all these things revolve around having a strategy in advance. If you don't have a strategy, you're not really going to have a direction for your bio. You're not going to – your captions are probably going to be about all different kinds of things. And some person, some people might be following you because – of one reason and somebody else might be following you for another reason. So when you're not creating content that reflects the reason why people are following you, then you start to get unfollowed. Got it. So that's why strategy is so important. So is it fair to say it's almost like Instagram is the new homepage? It's like the – it's kind of an evolving, continuously yeah. churning homepage, really. It's like a homepage for sure. I mean it's a landing page definitely. Landing page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, well, so you have 15,000 people following you daily. You've taken what you know and how you've done this, and you've packaged it into this Instagrammer Weekend course. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Okay, so I'm a micro-influencer, but I have really high engagement on all of my posts, which to me, like, which says to everyone that the people that are following me, they're following me because they genuinely enjoy following me. I, you know, provide value to them for the reason why they're following me. So they engage with my posts all the time. I have developed a way to share this knowledge um, and this skill that I have with other people who are also looking to grow their Instagram following. I really want to work with people who are the face of their brand because like a big reason why I run Instagram or weekend is because I also love the photography aspect of Um, Instagram and I want to share that with people. But basically, if anybody's interested in growing their Instagram and you're in the same city as me, you should come to Instagrammer Weekend, which is a full day. And I mean full, like this day is jam-packed with information and exercises um, on how to grow your Instagram. So we start off with um, understanding more about strategy, like we do a deep dive into what create what makes a good Instagram strategy, in terms of you know the actual like aesthetic of your feed and your bio and your captions and all of that. Like, what direction do you want to take it in? Um, there is a big mastermind component to it, where each participant works with at least two other people to do a deep dive into like what their strategy will involve. So. When So after we go through the mastermind, we learn about growth hacks, we learn about editing, we all go out at sunset, the best time of day to take pictures, and we actually create content to match that strategy. So, um, you know, the, the idea is like when we all go out and take pictures together, there's me plus at least two other people on the on the boot camp um, that know exactly what it is that you're looking for. So you have a lot of support in creating that content. Um, and throughout the day, like it's very collaborative. And uh, by the end of the day, you end up having f- uh, new friends, basically, that you've really gone through this big learning experience together with. And uh, yeah, it's just from what I've seen and how it worked before, it, it just it fosters like a very supportive environment. Yeah, and Krista won't toot her own horn. I will. I saw the the feedback that came out of this from the people on the Nomad Cruise. We just came from the Nomad Cruise, um, and the feedback of the people that went through this event was nothing short of amazing. Like it, it was just like a, a WhatsApp screen of people raving about it. So mm-hmm. uh, lots of good feedback. So, so okay. So it sounds like the components of this at least in the weekend and how it works, you start with a strategy and everything kind of emerges from that. So you set what you're trying to accomplish first. Yes. What are you trying to accomplish? What is the end game of having this following 
Can you t- talk about your own strategy and boil it down to that? Yeah, sure. So actually, I think my following on Instagram, it's not even my target demographic for Instagram or weekend. So like that's not even really my goal. My goal to grow my Instagram, first of all, I never really thought that it would get to like be as big as, as it is now and continue to be growing at such a steady pace. I started learning how to grow my Instagram following because I just genuinely wanted to reach more people that were interested in the digital nomad life. And the reason why is because when I first started traveling as a digital nomad, I was constantly meeting all these other travelers that maybe, you know, we would be in a hostel or something and it would be three o'clock on a Wednesday and they would say, hey, do you want to go get a beer or like, let's go climb a mountain or something? And I would say, no, I can't because I have to work. And they would just be like, what? what? What do you mean? We're in Costa Rica. We're in Ecuador. Like, what do you mean you have to work? Like, this concept was so foreign to so many people. And then, you know, I would explain, like, working remotely is totally possible. And then I saw how interested people were. And th- they were either, like, jealous or, like, excited or just, like, their mind was blown. But either way, I just felt like it's not fair to keep this information to myself. And I would love to help other people achieve the same kind of lifestyle that I have, which I am very satisfied with um, and love. So, um, so yeah, really, it's just like a platform for me to share. And that's what it started off as. And yeah, just a, a way to connect with people. Awesome. Well, it's, it, it's ironic because you and I both share the same goal in terms of uh, exposing more people to this mm-hmm. lifestyle as a possibility and inspiring them and educating them about how it's done. Uh, I created the Nomad Prep Academy, and there's obviously this podcast that I host that has precisely the same goal. Um, so I think it's pre- it's pretty interesting from that angle. Um, so the strategy up front, that's like component number one on the Instagram or weekend. And then from there, you go into content creation mode. So you're wandering around, capturing photos. You teach basically all aspects of that, like from a photographic like stylistic standpoint or what are you teaching during that portion? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's kind of like several main components to Instagram or weekend. So one is developing a strategy. One is actually creating the content to reflect that strategy. And then I guess that this does fall in line with it is editing photos and then also growth hack strategies. So marketing and exposure is a, is a big part of it as well. Um, but for the content creation aspect, Instagram or weekend happens in a different city every month. And so it's fun to like if anyone's traveling, we all go out and take photos together for um, for several hours. So not several hours for like three hours, but it's enough time to get a ton of photos. And this is meant to be a really fun experience, um, like I usually tell people to bring multiple things to wear so that you don't so that it doesn't look like all the photos are being taken on the same exact day. Um, So there's like, you know, costume changes for lack of a better word. I go over different techniques on, you know, how to take photos that you that are really flattering of you, how to catch the sun at the right angle, how to compose your pictures so that you stand out um, so that it's like an interesting picture to look at, even if you're just standing in front of a black wall, you know? Yeah, the, the content creation is is sort of like the artistic aspect of it that I love to administer because that's super fun for me. So, yeah. And does it require having like a fancy SLR camera or can someone with, you know, a nice iPhone or 
Yeah. Android phone to do this. <laughs> no one had a camera uh, on the last one that I did. So everybody just brought their phones. And that's fine. I think the weekend might inspire people to get a camera, like, because you can take your photography to the next level with it, with better equipment. But at the same time, you don't need a fancy camera to grow on Instagram. Like, there are so many other ways like I just said, like having a strategy and creating content that matches it, writing great ca- writing great captions, marketing yourself effectively with different growth hack strategies. And uh, yeah, like the, the photography is just if you want to scale and like explode your following, then you could be an amazing photographer. But I know lots of amazing photographers that don't have anyone following them on Instagram. Like and you look at their feed and you're like, this is so beautiful. And why? It's because they either don't have a strategy or they don't understand how the algorithm works or, you know, they're not connecting with the people that are following them or they're not engaging enough or posting consistently. Like there's so many other things that are involved with growing on Instagram that, um, yeah, the camera is like totally not the most important thing at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, if anything, that's testament to like you can have a piece of this, but unless you have the full picture, it's not going to result in having a massive following in mm-hmm. the way that it has for you. Yeah, just because you have a camera, it doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so strategy, then content capture is the second component. It sounds like then uh, an editing like pr- production component of this. Can you talk a little bit? You know, I use Lightroom. I know that's the tool. Although I use the Ghetto <laughs> iOS version of Lightroom, but it's maybe talk ghetto. about. <laughs> it's not Ghetto. Anyone who's listening, it's not Ghetto. It's fine. But if you want to take it to the next level, the only editing tool I will I will ever use to edit my photos is Adobe Lightroom on desktop. Um, because while well, sometimes I use Adobe Photoshop too, and they just they work so seamlessly together. Where like so, for example, on Instagram or Weekend, I do I give photo challenges for the photography and the content creation aspect, and one of those challenges is take a photo with the tourist in the background so that we can later learn how to Photoshop them out. Like you can't really Photoshop someone out using your phone. So right. that's why you should use desktop. <laughs> Got it. Yep. I need to graduate because I'm still using the, the mobile <laughs> version there. Do you think any amount of touching can fix some of the photos that we got on the beach on Saturday? <laughs> like This was my first, I got like a taste of this, this photo capture session. Uh, not being extremely photogenic, but we will. Uh, You're like super photogenic. All you need is a smile to be so photogenic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see. Maybe that will be the challenge here. Is I will see if I can photo touch some of those and uh, see if I can. I haven't from... shared those for for people listening. We we went to the beach the other day, and um, yeah, I obviously had my camera because I have my camera everywhere that I go, and so yeah, we were taking photos, and these photos are great. I don't know what you're talking about see that. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Uh, It sounds like the last component of this would be the promotional growth hacking part of it. Can Mm. you talk about, I know hashtags are one thing, but that is my limited extent of my knowledge. Hashtags are the worst. Um, They're like changing all the time and they're just a nightmare. Honestly, like in my insights, sometimes it'll say that my hashtags have reached 14,000 people when I don't even have any hashtags on the post. So Anyone that talks about hashtags as being the growth hack, just immediately tune out and stop listening to them. Like, it's literally the the worst It sounds like the people that talk about meta keywords when it comes to SEO at this point, it sounds like maybe that's passe and that's... 
the, the old hat, but what's the new jam? The thing that the thing is that Instagram's changing its algorithm all the time. You got to keep up with like different growth hack strategies, um, and and truthfully, no one really knows the answer. Yeah, so hashtags I think used to be more effective than they are now. The best thing to understand about growth hacking is to is to understand how the algorithm works. To explain it quickly. Instagram's main goal is to keep you on your feed for as long as possible. The reason why is because the longer that you're on your feed, the more ads you're going to see, and Instagram makes money with ads. It is Instagram's number one and only incentive to keep its viewers engaged or its users engaged with the content. So it, its objective is to show you the best possible content for you. So it looks at who you are engaging with the most often because it assumes that those people are your friends. It also shows you content that's more recent because it wants to show you the most relevant stuff. It doesn't want to show you stale old content. Like I said, there are all different kinds of ways that Instagram measures what kind of photos it should be showing different people on their feed. And that's why the, the algorithm is always changing. But ultimately, it just wants to keep people on the screen. Basically, just like the, the best thing that anybody can do if you want to hack your algorithm, this is the best tip that I have, is see who are like if your mom is always the, the number one person that's showing up in like the blank and X many people liked your post. You don't need to improve engagement with your mom. But, like, think of – see, like, maybe who are the top, I don't know, 30 people that see your story and then go to all of their profiles and like a bunch of their pictures. Now, when Instagram – when you post your next picture, it will probably show your picture at the top of 30 people's feeds. That means that you have 30 people that already like you. They're going to see your picture first, and then that's going to trigger Instagram to think, oh, this is a good picture because 30 people just like this picture immediately. And then it's going to start showing it to more people because Instagram will only ever show your picture to like maximum 20% of your followers. It's a good day if it shows it to 10% of your followers, but likely it's only going to show it to 6 to 8% of your followers. So you can increase your chances of it showing your picture to more people if you are super engaged with people that are already following you, which is something that I think people don't think about. I think people usually seek out like new people to engage with. But actually, as counterintuitive as that is, um, actually, it's better for you to be more engaged with people that are following you already. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that tip. Boom. <laughs> Knowledge drop. Yeah, yeah, if we could drop these mics, we would. <laughs> it's funny, in listening to you describe this, uh, this just came to mind. But one of the talks I did see on the Nomad Cruise that I thought was fantastic uh, was David Dangvu's uh, e-course. And mm. where he's talking about Udemy as essentially being a search engine at the heart of it. And in hacking that algorithm, so to speak, um, it has to do all with velocity and like getting a course and making sure that you hit really hard and fast and that you get those first couple likes then catapult you and you get displayed on the featured content and yada, yada, yada. Um, it sounds like a lot of those similar ideas mm -hmm. are at work on Instagram here. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, I think you can take that concept and apply it to literally every kind of platform that shows you different content. And, and I'm talking about Etsy. I'm talking about Fiverr. Like, Literally any website where you want your stuff to show up on the front page, there's a reason why certain people are always showing up on the front page. It's probably because they're getting great reviews or they've – yeah, like in David's example, um, 
on the Nomad Cruise. This guy has created multiple extremely successful courses on Udemy and has, has made a lot of money from it. And he attributes it to, uh, to hacking the algorithm when he launched that course. So basically, like he, what he says is he had a mailing list of people that when he launched his course, he blasted it out to the mailing list. And all these people were already really excited about the course because he had kind of touted it to them beforehand. So when the course came out, they all eagerly bought the course immediately. And then he got and then and Udemy then, contacted him and said, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> this is the most yeah. resonance we've ever seen in a new course. Yeah. So then like all these people bought the course and watched the whole course, which I guess is another big factor of um, of that algorithm. And uh, so basically it just like created the snowball effect where now his courses are always showing up on the front page because he established at the very beginning that this is a high quality piece of content. And of course, Udemy, their goal is to get people to buy and watch as many courses as they can. And the only way for them to do that is if they're showing the highest quality stuff at the top. So anyway, it's all this like big cycle. It's crazy, but there are ways that you can be successful if you just plan ahead. And in, in, does this all, I'm assuming this algorithm they're referring to, uh, I know there's a part of Instagram where it's just featuring random stuff, people that I don't know, where it just shows me a bunch of interesting videos and screens and whatnot. These techniques that you're talking about, that helps propel you into that if you're doing it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be, you will become more discoverable. But like your explore page, which is where there's all this content from people that you don't follow, your explore page, I guarantee, looks extremely different than my explore page. Just like I'm sure my friend Helen, who we were talking about earlier, who we have a ridiculous amount of things in common, but of course our explore pages look different because we follow different people and we engage with different posts and um, it's like a snowflake. They're all different. <laughs> so you don't have a bunch of kite surfing and e-snowboarding <laughs> pictures on here? <laughs> no, my explore page is like cute dogs, astrology, travel girls, nutrition, like stuff like that. But they're, they're like categories, right? So, And you just mentioned a bunch too. So there's a science behind all of it. Awesome. All right. So it sounds like there's a lot of good content. This is an entire day long packed course. Again, yeah. it got rave reviews. If this stuff sounds interesting, uh, we'll mention at the end of how to get into it. But I'm going to shift gears here for a bit and actually talk about the Nomad Cruise, which we were both on. Yep. Uh, can you tell me what is the Nomad Cruise? And I want to take a second to briefly pause here and tell you about an exciting project that I'm working on. I recently left my job of five years to go full-time on a side project that I started called Charity Makeover. This is a hackathon that brings volunteer knowledge workers together to build game-changing digital assets for local charities in a single day. Think of it like a habitat for humanity, only with virtual assets instead of physical houses. I recently deployed a platform that enables anyone to bring this movement to his or her city. If you think you might be interested in being the admin for your city, Visit charitymakeover.org slash podcast to learn more. And now back to the interview. So the Nomad Cruise is a conference at sea targeted for people who are location independent, remote workers, or want to be a remote worker. They range from six days to three weeks. I think that, well, almost three weeks. Yeah, basically it's all these people that are collectively on this cruise and are going to talks and workshops in the morning, all kinds of meetups. Basically, everybody, 
everybody that's on the cruise has some kind of different skill set. Like, for example, I know a lot about Instagram and you know a lot about podcasting and other people know about affiliate marketing and other people know about, um, I don't know, like drop shipping. And I'm, I'm just rattling off a lot of marketing and passive income things. But the topics are really wide ranging. Like, what are some of the other things they talk so about? Wacky meetups. Uh, I mean, Matt led <laughs> one on uh, real estate investing. Mm. Um, there's workshops like acro yoga yeah. and just stuff all over the map. Yeah. So there's, there's just so many things that you can learn on the cruise. Also like how to make deeper connections with other people. So, um, yeah, there's just, it's, it's really nonstop learning and personal development, growth, business strategy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you learn all this stuff over the, over the period of the entire cruise. And in the meanwhile, you're making connections with humans from all over the world that are all there for the same exact reason as you. So you just walk away with so many great friends, network connections, and, um, and knowledge. What do you attribute the magic to? Like, and I, I have kind of my own answer what I think it is, but like, why is the cruise so special? Why does it work so well? I think because we're all stuck on a boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, like conference, like other conferences, I'm sure that people get a lot out of other conferences, but you're not like having breakfast and and dinner and after drinks with the same exact people. And I think the the groups are are small enough that you recognize and see the same faces, and it and it's for long enough that you have enough time and opportunity to make those connections. So yeah, I mean, I think. Probably if anybody's a networking guru, then you know for sure that uh, the best way to make a connection is actually to to make a professional connection is to first make a personal connection. So amazing things happen when you make like-minded friends. Yeah. And Bori was a previous guest on uh, on oh. this show. And so we went deep into the Deep Connections workshop and what all that involved. Cool. Um, so check that episode out if you want to hear more about that. Uh, but I agree with you. I think being stuck on the boat, like the captive audience component of it combined, I think, with like a forced digital detox for many. I didn't have data on the last one. And so I think not having data really forces you to be present. And so true. It's it's interesting, like organizing meetings, you don't even have a way to text people necessarily. Yeah. So you're, you're like literally like knocking on a door like it yeah. was in high school or something when you trying to meet up. Yeah, there's like a little sign outside of the conference area that says like meet at the restaurant at 6:45 p.m. on Thursday and then the yeah. people that are interested go. So, yeah, that is a cool part. Yeah, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I share your affinity for the cruise now. That yes. was my first one. I think yeah. it's funny that we both did the same thing in Brazil. I know. Maybe <laughs> mention how like what was that about? So funny. Okay, so Sean and I did meet like over a year ago in Lisbon where we happen to be again now, but um, where I feel like we really connected and became friends was when we were in Brazil earlier this year because for me, like I had such bad FOMO about not being able to go on the Nomad Cruise that I flew all the way to northern Brazil where the boat was where everybody was getting off the boat in their final destination. Um, basically like, hey, guys, like I'm here to hang out. <laughs> and Sean did the same thing. So we both were there like hanging out with all the other nomads. And everybody's like, wait, you didn't do the cruise? And we're like, no, but we will next time, I swear. But I wasn't able to do the last one. So it's not my fault. <laughs> we were cruise crashers yeah. <laughs> in the greatest sense. Amazing. Um, I think the other funny thing with the cruise is we both did the piranha tank. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is we both – 
our pitches on the Piranha Tank seem to have both led to us then actually executing the events that we proposed. Yes. Um, so this coming weekend, for the people listening, Krista is doing her Instagrammer weekend for the mm-hmm. second time. I am holding the thing that I pitched, which is Charity Makeover, um, which is a whole thing. You can look it up, charitymakeover.com. It's essentially a hackathon, uh, kind of like Startup Weekend, only we're helping charities instead of creating new products. It's uh, so cool. Sean, you have to talk about what Startup Weekend is because I don't think enough people know, and it's a, such a cool concept. So yeah, yeah. talk about it more. Startup Weekend. <laughs> this is Do my it. show. <laughs> uh, no, real quick. So Startup Weekend was started by a friend of mine. He was actually guest number four on this uh, podcast, Andrew Hyde. Um, but he started this thing. It's a global movement now. It's been uh, acquired by the Kauffman Foundation. So like a massive $2 billion foundation acquired it. Uh, and it is basically the best thing that I've seen in terms of advancing entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a way to indoctrinate people into a lot of really useful concepts quickly. Um, so you come together with like 70 strangers in a weekend and work on building a product from start to finish. Uh, so you have 52 hours to pull off a product uh, from start to finish. And you just learn so much in the course of that. And you meet so many neat people. And I've been to nine of them. I've facilitated three of them. I think they are just the coolest things ever. And uh, But the thing about them is I believe they are a bit wasteful in the sense that people that work on stuff typically throw it away at the end of the weekend. And then they go back to their day job and kind of it was a fun exercise. But we also just created a bunch of stuff that didn't get used. And so the thing that I've been doing, this is this will be the fifth event that I've organized. Um, we're getting the same experience and all those benefits of working together and learning, but we are putting, we're basically channeling all that energy towards helping local charities. And then when we leave, they're better off because of it. So that's the idea. Uh, you can learn more about it, charitymakeover.com. Amazing. That's the end of my commercial. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm super excited to participate because, you know, like, in Sean's pitch, he sort of opened it up with saying, who here would love to be more involved in charity work? And, you know, like 75% of the room raised their hand. And then he's like, who thinks that they don't have access to doing that? And, and you know, everybody keeps their hand up. Um, and I mean, that resonated with me because I go to all these different places all over the world and I would love to be contributing to the places that I'm visiting. But it's hard to access charities, first of all, if you're only in a place for a short amount of time. And to, like, find something that's actually meaningful, you know, I mean, there's just – there are a lot of charities and volunteer organizations that they don't – they're, like, quote-unquote helping but just not in such a real way. So, um, you know, I have digital marketing skills and that's probably a more valuable thing for me to contribute to a charity than me building a house. Like, I don't even know how to use a hammer. So I don't know why anybody would want me to do that. <laughs> no, you, you nailed it. Like, we, we've all got this unique gift that is the culmination of a lifetime of experience that is, you know, you can uniquely provide the stuff that you know how to do. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that you can channel your 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 gifts towards helping these charities, uh, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful concept. So we'll see. It is. I'm excited. <laughs> all right. Um, Shift gears again, you have been involved with the Wi-Fi tribe quite mm-hmm. a bit. Can you yes. talk about what the Wi-Fi tribe is? Because Diego was another guest oh, on here. Oh, so was, fun. Yeah. I'm such a Wi-Fi tribe groupie. <laughs> You're talking about my two two favorite companies. So um, I was on the very first uh, Wi-Fi tribe chapter, which I am proud to say that I am OG. Um, it was in Nicaragua like two, three years ago. Anyway, the Wi-Fi tribe is basically a traveling co-living group. So it's 
usually like up to 25 participants and um, everybody just lives in a big house together uh, for an entire month in a different city around the world. And that's pretty much like that's the concept. What's amazing about it is, again, you make such good and close connections with the people that are in the Wi-Fi tribe with you because you're living together and you're experiencing this new destination together. So the thing everybody has in common is that they are making an income while they're there. And that, that's that's basically it. People are from all over the world. I will also say I, I have noticed that the Wi-Fi tribe group tends to be a pretty fun bunch. So um, I would concur with that. <laughs> I met him on the boat. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done a lot of different co-living experiences and they all kind of have their own unique vibe. Like some are focused on productivity and some are focused on personal development or spirituality or whatever. Um, but the Wi-Fi tribe, it's just kind of like people that are digital nomads and they're trying to get their work done, but also have fun and experience the destination that they're in. And so would you say that that is a good, for the people that are listening that are aspiring nomads, looking at doing like what you're doing, the Wi-Fi tribe, do you consider that like a good way to kind of wade into this? 100%. I mean, that really, for me, like I traveled for six months as a digital nomad before I discovered Wi-Fi Tribe because I was literally Googling how to meet other digital nomads because I didn't know anybody. I hadn't met anybody really. Um, granted, I was like backpacking and stuff, but they're just the, the concept is so new that, yeah, Wi-Fi Tribe had literally just launched their website like a week before I did. I made that Google search. I don't know. Maybe I'm biased, but it was it literally began my whole nomad network. So for me, it's very near and dear to my heart and I would recommend it to anyone. Nice. I have not yet done Wi-Fi Tribe. I intend to. Um, for the people that want to learn more about it, I did interview Diego, which is one of the co-founders of Wi-Fi Tribe. I believe it was episode seven. Um, he's in, I think he was in uh, Bolivia at the time, and he gave us kind of like a tour. He walked around with his laptop, and uh, there was people eating breakfast. And, I really so. want to go to Bolivia. So bad. <laughs> so cool. Nice. Um, well, let's talk about, because you're like fairly extroverted, I feel like, and you, what are your strategies for meeting people on the road as a nomad? Because I, like, I am not that extroverted, contrary to what it seems like. I can play guitar on stage, but I can't like just go walk up to a random group of people and start mm-hmm. talking to them. So what do you do to break the ice and make like make friends on the road? Wow, good question. Um, I mean, literally because of the Nomad Cruise and the Wi-Fi tribe, I just, I know so many people now everywhere that I go. It's crazy. But channeling back to when I was a new digital nomad and how did I get started and how did I meet anybody really? Because I was, I mean, I wasn't really meeting other digital nomads, but I was meeting lots of other travelers. And maybe I wasn't meeting other digital nomads because I didn't know what I was doing. So (laughs) I would recommend going to co-working spaces, first of all. Um, That's a big one. Not all co-working spaces are created equal. Some people are super antisocial and nobody talks to anybody. And some are amazing and they're hosting events all the time. Like my favorite one of all time is Dojo in Bali. Dojo's like uh, Changu Bali is this little nomad mecca basically where there's all of these digital nomads that are there and this co-working space is open 24 7 so it's just it's like really easy to to say yes this is the place for me because no matter what your schedule is you can you can figure it out and you can go there but they have they have events like every single night of the week lisbon also is a great place to meet other digital nomads because the biggest nomad meetup from meetup.com 
in the world is in Lisbon. So I guess this is actually my second tip to seek out digital nomad destinations. Just to rattle some off the top of my head, Lisbon for sure, Changu, Bali, like I just said, but Chiang Mai, Thailand is a huge one. Medellin, Colombia is one of the biggest. And then there's other smaller places. Like I had a great experience in Antigua, Guatemala, that a lot of the coffee shops and there is a co-working space there that is great. Where else? I think, yeah, I don't know. There, there are other places. Google it. <laughs> yeah. So start with a good destination. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of like the raw materials are the place that you're in. So But then true. it sounds like on top of that, there's other strategies. You mentioned Meetup, which mm-hmm. is a great one. I think that's a really useful tool. If people don't know what that is, it's basically a way to find local events. Yeah, meetup.com. So, yeah, you can look online, too, to to find other places. But I don't recommend – I do not recommend, like, using an online resource as a crutch because you will never make friends that way because people online can be trolls. And it just – you know, it actually might be counterproductive. But in every city in the world, basically, or any big city, there's usually a blank city like Berlin – digital nomads or whatever, Munich digital nomads. So join those pages and then try to make connections with people, like maybe put a post up saying that you're going to be there. And if anybody has any recommendations and then if people respond, maybe send them a DM and like, you know, strike up a conversation with them and maybe it'll lead to coffee. I also am a huge proponent of staying in hostels. So I love hostels, even though like the older that I get, the less, the less interested I am at staying in them. Like, I still just appreciate them so much for the social aspect. If you're a nomad and you're going to stay in a hostel, make sure you look at the pictures online and see if there is a decent looking place to work. There should be a table and a couch in the same room and it should be a it should be like a medium to large sized hostel and chances are there will be other people that are, you know, spending the day in the common area working. But yeah, hostels like They're just so easy to meet people like you are just sitting next to a stranger at breakfast. Just turn to them and ask them, where is the coffee or like, like, how is the fruit or like, whatever. Just like Like, talking to people? Just like (laughs) ask a random question. Like it doesn't matter. And then people are usually really nice in hostels because people are tend to be traveling solo. And even if they're not traveling solo, they're in a hostel because they don't hate strangers. I usually I just I don't know, maybe I'm just like a little blonde girl that always has a big smile on her face. So it's easier for me. But I actually don't believe that. I do think that. Like, no matter who you are, how, however introverted you are, like, just ask a situational question when you're sitting near someone, and I promise you something good will happen. Nice. That's my tip. Good advice. And speaking of hostels, you're in Selena here, right? Yeah. Uh, Selena Hostel. Mm-hmm. How do you like that? How does that compare to some of the places that you've been? Selena is so legit. It's great. It's a, I love the brand. I've, I've, like, stayed in four of them around the world. Selena is, like totally totally gets this nomad trend right they're usually like really big hostels nice hostels they usually have a pool and a co-working space and the one here in lisbon i don't know how long this is going to last because this one's brand new but they do a free co-working day every wednesday so every wednesday that co-working space is packed with other digital nomads so to do stuff like that too is also a great um, way to meet other people nice yeah good tips uh, yeah, we did. I was in Costa Rica for the remote year citizen house and we worked out of the Selena there and it's phenomenal. You got, like you said, an amazing pool, like a gorgeous workspace and it is a great place to meet people. Nice. Good tips. 
Um, okay, so we're doing this reverse chronology, but I want to take a step back <laughs> and go to Costa Rica. And was that that was your first six months of nomading experience? Yeah, it was. Okay, um, take us back there. All right, all the way back to Costa Rica, 2016. All right, so. Costa Rica is where my new life began as a digital nomad, and it was amazing. Basically, I had been working a contract job. I feel like I have to give the background story of this. So I used to live in New York City. I loved New York City, but I think I had seasonal depression because I was just like in a dark apartment, and go my the subway was right next to my apartment, and I would go underground, emerge and then immediately go into my office, which didn't really have a lot of natural light either. So I just like never saw the sun for six months. And I think I just one day was like, I got to get out of here. So I actually decided to move to Thailand to be an English teacher, which was going to be a hiatus from my marketing career. Thought it would be a fun way to make money and travel at the same time. Because in 2013, I didn't know that being a digital nomad was a thing. In retrospect, maybe that's what I should have gone for originally. But Moving to Thailand was the best thing I've ever, ever, ever done. And I would recommend going to a country to teach English to literally anybody that wants to, like, escape their their hamster wheel life. <laughs> um, so I lived in Thailand for two years. I actually never ended up teaching English because I got a job doing marketing there. And Thailand was an amazing experience, but it's so far away from the U.S. that I just homesickness got the best of me. And I was like, after two years, it was just time. It was time to go home. So I wasn't necessarily going home to stay at home. Like I wasn't necessarily going back to settle. I had loved living abroad and I thought living abroad was the only way for me to like continue my travel life because I traveled all the time when I was living in Thailand. So I went home to Boston for a few months and I was like interviewing at companies in New York thinking like maybe I'll try to do this. But I also was interviewing a lot of companies abroad. So as I was interviewing for company for as I was doing all these interviews, I was like, I just can't decide where I want to live. Like I just there's there's such a big world out there and it was really overwhelming. So as a way to buy myself more time and also have some kind of income because I was blowing through my savings, was to get a contract writing job. So I was doing that. So I found this job just like kind of getting, you know, like an hourly wage with this with this startup. <laughs> with the startup. And so I was I was working from my laptop for the first time which in retrospect, like it's so clear what was going to happen next. But I really had never, ever, ever considered working remotely. To me, that sounded super antisocial and boring. So I didn't, that wasn't like an objective of mine. But my friend was like, hey, let's go somewhere for New Year's. And Costa Rica was the cheapest flight. So I went to Costa Rica and I was really only going to be there for like we, we were going to be there together for a week and I was going to stay for one extra week by myself because I actually didn't like solo traveling or I, I hadn't had any experience in it and I really wasn't planning on doing a lot of it. But I was like, whatever, I can just kind of hang out by the pool and do this writing job that I have from Costa Rica. And then when I got there and I was sitting by the beach and I had my laptop open and I was making money, it was like, pff, like light bulb moment, obviously. Like, why wouldn't I just keep doing this. I had actually been offered a full-time job with that startup and I had been on the fence about it. But then when I got there, it was like, duh, obviously this is what I should do. 
So I was in Costa Rica when I accepted my full-time marketing position with that tech startup. And um, And you had gone with the intention of coming back, but then took this full-time job and then just decided to stay? Yeah, I had a return flight. But what was amazing was like I called the airline telling them what happened and they were like, we'll just cancel your flight and give you the money back. And I don't know why that happened. That never like, happens. That <laughs> literally never happens. And like, it doesn't even happen to me. Like, it's literally the only ever time that's happened. But I think be- because they said that and there just, there was no reason for me to go home at all. It's also, it was the winter and it was like freezing and I was in the sun in Costa Rica. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm solo traveling now and I'm not going home. And then I met all these people in my hostel in Costa Rica that we're going to Nicaragua. So I hopped to the border with them and then I moved on to Nicaragua. And then I went to Colombia and then I went to Ecuador and then I went to Brazil. And this whole time I had my laptop with me. So I was making money and just like, I just couldn't believe that it was a thing. Even though I wasn't meeting other digital nomads at the time, it was like my first ever uninterrupted free flow backpacking trip, which was the coolest thing ever. Um, so yeah, very grateful for that time in my life. It was amazing. That's awesome. I can attest to the going to Costa Rica and then hopping the border to Nicaragua. <laughs> I did that uh, after our remote year program ended. I kind of worked my way up south in Central America, ended up in Costa Rica. Someone saw my Facebook post and they said, oh, you know what? There's a bunch of OG remote year people oh. in San Juan del Sur right now. You should mm. go meet them. And it was like two hours away or something. And so got that full experience, and yeah, Nicaragua was amazing. Did you go to the Sunday Funday party? I have the tank top from the Sunday Funday party. Legit, like <laughs> best party ever. <laughs> it was so uh, fun. In a in a former life, I used yeah. to throw pub crawls. Actually, did you? Yeah. Uh, Where? Back in the day in Phoenix, Arizona, we had a party bus that we converted. A we took a city bus and converted it into a nightclub. No way. And so uh, yes, so. That is a whole nother life. What the heck? Uh, Why are we doing that here? It's all so fun. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that is that is a lifetime <laughs> <No>. ago. <laughs> that is not yeah, a good no. business. Our, mo- our motto is break even. And so all right, all right. Okay. sometimes broke even. <laughs> Fair enough. Not so scalable. It's fine. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. <laughs> uh, no, I want to I want to transition and talk uh, about a more serious subject. I know you had a somewhat of a near tragedy happen in your past. Are you willing to talk about the neck incident? Yeah, wow, such an interesting segue from Sunday Fun Day, (laughs) which is like a drunken pool party, as if I didn't learn my lesson. So there's a little foreshadowing for this story. It ends well for everyone listening, but basically, yeah, this story that Sean's alluding to, I told him the other day, and I would say it's responsible for pretty much like all the major life decisions that I've made. Um, It's the reason why I travel. And uh, yeah, so this super serious thing that happened. Um, Basically, I was 20 years old. And I was, yeah, I was 20. I was planning on studying abroad for the whole year of my senior year of college, or my junior year. And I was so excited that I flew down to my friend's place in Maryland before I was um, gonna go abroad. And it was like my last hurrah trip. Um, like Chris is leaving. We all need to get drunk and like have the best night ever. Well, well, you know how like 20 year old Americans do. Needless to say, this was a very drunken night and it was the summertime. We were having a party by the pool. And long story short, 
I dove into the pool and I hit my head on the bottom. I came up right away. Like I remember feeling like the boom, like the thud on top of my head and then it hurt obviously. So I came up right away and I was like, whoa, that really hurt to the guy that was at the other end of the pool. And he was like, can you turn your neck? Um, like I was a lifeguard. Like, let's just make sure you're okay, which that is not this, the right thing to do. Not the right thing to do. Not the right thing to do. Thank God I only turned it sideways because apparently if I had turned it up and down, that would have ended. Things would have maybe been different. But anyway, so I turned my head and I was like, nope, I'm fine. I just want to get out of the pool. Like, wow, I feel like an idiot. Like, what a dumb thing to do that I dove into the pool when I was drunk. Again, I tell I can tell the story in a very long, drawn out way. But long story short, that experience resulted in a broken neck and I broke my neck diving into a pool which was the worst it was like a very days painful. before you're scheduled to go yeah, abroad right days before it was literally like a week before I was going to board my flight so that was honestly injury aside the most devastating thing ever like I I really remember like people say the rug has been pulled out from under you I like I felt that like that was so real for me. And yeah, like I I just was so upset. I was just so sad. I was so sad that I that first of all that I that I could be so dumb, like that I could make such a stupid instantaneous decision, like the the decision to dive into a pool, like I just was like, yeah, pool, me, I'm hot, pool, good, jump, done. Like I didn't even think about it, obviously. So so I had to drop out of my semester which sucked. I ended up having to have a really ridiculously awful, painful, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad surgery where they cut a big, yeah, cut a, yeah, had a couple of my vertebrae fused together in my neck, shaved the back half of my hair. So there was like all of these like aesthetic issues that came along with it too. Gained a bunch of weight when I was like injured and stuff because I was really immobile and all in all, this was just a very bad, traumatic experience. And so I felt really bad emotionally. I was so ashamed of myself. I was so, like, I, like, hated the way that I looked. I hated the way that I felt. I was so bored. I was, like, worried about not being able to go back to school because I didn't know if I was going to have to have another surgery. Like, they gave me, I think, like, eight weeks to to wait until you know, to, to see if, like, the surgery had been effective or not. So, yeah, it just fell into a dark place for a while with this with this surgery and this injury. But you weren't paralyzed. So it's like, <laughs> it's like the, the very small silver lining in this but whole mess. That's the key to the story. Okay, so, like, when I was in it, when I was, like, in the depths, like, that I, I wasn't studying abroad and I wasn't in and I wasn't in school and I like didn't like the way that I looked like all all of these like really negative things. There was there wasn't a way for me to see the silver lining. I just was I really was like in a in a deep, dark place. And again, I felt so stupid for what I had done. And I got I had this like overwhelming this like these like overwhelmingly negative thoughts where I was just like I made that decision to dive into that pool in one second and what else am I going to do in my life that could almost kill me? Like, what if I, what if I like accidentally cross the street and and a and a car is going or like a motorcycle is going too fast? Or what if I trip and fall? Or what if a mosquito bites me and I like I have a weird disease? Or what if, 
what if I get cancer or what if I like just like there I just was like, it oh, my God, there's so many yeah. ways to die. So I was freaking out about that. And it was, it was bad. OK, so now to your point, then I found out that I wasn't going to have another surgery, that I didn't need one, that I was getting better. I and it was like early enough that I could still study abroad for the second semester. And I figured out that like my school, like I could I could work out my classes and take summer and winter classes that I could still graduate on time and all these things like it was going to be OK. And that was really changed my mindset a lot. And I started seeing it was not a silver lining. It's like the big like glowing orb around the bad situation that this could have been so much worse. Obviously, like when people break their necks, they don't usually survive. They maybe they die instantaneously. Maybe they become a quadriplegic. Maybe become they they become a paraplegic. Maybe they suffer brain damage. Maybe they have debilitating pain for the rest of their life. But like none of that happened to me. I was literally walking away from this situation scotch free. I have a scar in the back of my neck, but like it's fine. And my hair all grew back in and like it's whatever. I'm I'm literally like no one even knows this story about me usually because uh, it just doesn't come up often. Anyway, the point is <laughs> what to why I live my life the way that I do is because so I went through that whole experience where I was like there are so many ways to die. And I'm so incredibly lucky that 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 wasn't my fate in this situation and so I just thought if something like this ever happens again, I never, ever want to regret not taking advantage of an opportunity. Like if if I become a paraplegic someday, knock on wood that I don't, but if I ever become a paraplegic someday, I don't want to look back on my life and think I, I should have done that. that. Yeah. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have been more whatever. I should have taken more chances. So... So when I started to feel better, I remember I spent an entire day in bed making a bucket list. And I wrote down all the things I had ever wanted to do, all the all the like craziest things that I could ever imagine doing, like the farthest places in the world that I could go, like the wildest things that I could do. That day I put, I think like 92 items on my Google Doc. Uh, which the top is this big thing that says live life to the fullest. And since then, I cannot tell you how many things I've crossed off because I actually don't know, but it's like more than 75% for sure. Is that something you'd be willing to maybe share that we could link to or is that no, private? I would never share that with anybody. Okay. Well, maybe someday I'll share with somebody, but I've never shared it with anybody. It's a very private, personal thing. Um, but some things on the list was uh, ride an elephant in Thailand, which at the time I didn't know that this was a very unethical thing to do, so don't go ride an elephant in Thailand. But the point is that I was dreaming about Thailand at the time, and then, like, years later, I ended up moving there. Another one was, like, become a city girl because I had been living in the suburbs. So I moved to New York City and see the pyramids of Egypt, ride a hot air balloon in Cappadocia, Turkey, ride the gondola in Venice. Yeah, just all, all these, a lot of a lot of travel experiences. Oh, go to Rio for carnival. Nice. So yeah, my bucket list has been a guiding force in my life. And now my, my rule is that if something is on the list and I have an opportunity to do it, I have to do that thing. 
And I'm just so grateful that I had that experience that has really guided my life since then. That seems like a really positive way to take away something from that. You know, something that was in every other respect a negative experience. It sounds like you mm. managed to convert it into a positive. That's awesome. Yeah. Krista, at this point in the interview, <laughs> I have now finally come up with a name for this section of the interview. We go to this rapid fire question section, but I okay. finally got the name for it. This is The Breakdown. Are you ready for The Breakdown? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Okay. Breakdown, baby. What is one book that has had a profound effect on you? Oh, so many books. The first one that comes to my mind is Eat, Pray, Love, because that was the first. I mean, it's. I actually was reading that book when I broke my neck. So I think maybe that's why it, was, it made such an impact on me. But, I was, yeah, I was reading about this this woman that was traveling the world and living her best life. And uh, that was something that I wanted and I aspired to. And now I'm doing it too. Awesome. What about what is one tool or travel hack that saves you time, money, headaches, et cetera? Um, a tool. Um, or a travel hack, any kind of trick or anything like road wisdom. You've been on the road for five and a half years. Okay. So travel hack is um, if you're American, get Google Fi for your, like, for your um, phone service provider. It is the best and you can use it everywhere. Um, and road v- wisdom is to try to stay in every destination that you can for at least two weeks Traveling for two weeks as a digital nomad in each place is still pretty quick. Um, And I still, you know, like travel faster than that sometimes. But I just always have a better experience when I'm somewhere for two plus two two weeks to like eight weeks. I would tend to agree with that. Like uh, the first guy I interviewed on here, my friend Trevor, at some point was on a pace, I think, every four days or five days. Oh, my God. That's hard to maintain. No, can't. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. It's too much. Uh, okay, what about this? So who alive today would you most like to have dinner with? Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's a tough question. Can we skip this one? <laughs> sure, we can skip it. What about what is one musical artist that most speaks to you right now? That's a tough one, too, because <laughs> I love music, and I listen to music all the time. But, like, I listen to a lot of instrumental music, so I don't always know the names of the artists. Like, I just kind of, like, let stream happen. But I will say that I did the, the artists that I respect the most, and I don't care who makes fun of me for this, Lady Gaga is the queen. She's, I just love how she's just very unapologetically herself all the time, um, and I and she's, like, Super liberal with her attitudes, and I just I respect her. Awesome. Maybe I'd like to have dinner with Lady Gaga. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll go with that as your answer to both of those sure. questions. <laughs> what about uh, greatest challenge you faced and what you learned from it? And is it the neck thing? Maybe? For sure, hundred yeah. percent the neck thing. Yep. Yeah, breaking my neck and coming out on top was the biggest thing. The bucket list. Yeah. Nice. All right, last question. Okay. If you had a time machine to go back to your 20-year-old Krista self, let's say before that incident, so the 20-year-old pre-diving into the pool, Krista, what advice would you give yourself? I don't even know if I would tell her not to dive into the pool. Like, honestly, really, that impacted my life profoundly, ultimately in a good way. It was, it was hard. 
I would just tell her that everything's going to be okay. Well, you're not the first person to say that, actually. Like, really? That it's all going to work out. I think Danielle, that was similar advice that yeah. she gave her herself. So, great. Well, so, Krista, at this point, how can people contact you if they want to get in touch? How can they take the Instagrammer weekend? Hmm. Um, you can go to Instagrammerweekend.com uh, with Instagrammer with two M's. Um, you also can find me on Instagram at Krista Bella Travels. My name is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-A. So Krista Bella. Yeah. Or Krista Bella Travels at gmail.com if you want to email me. Cool. All right. And we will link all of that in the show notes for Yay. the people listening or driving right now. So you don't have to do any writing. Drive safe. Good. Yes, drive safe. <laughs> that shit's dangerous. <laughs> All right, Krista, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You guys are the best. <laughs> Bye. If you have a substantial social media following and consider yourself a micro-influencer in the digital nomad space, I invite you to check out a program I'm in the early stages of rolling out. I call it the Advocate Program for Nomad Podcast and Nomad Prep. It's a multi-level affiliate program that enables you to monetize the social media following you've built by referring my course to your followers. You can earn commission on both students you originate directly as well as students who come in via the advocates you originate, essentially a downline, and all through simply introducing your following of aspiring nomads to a course that can help them more confidently make the leap. I'm in the process of selecting a small group of early advocates who I'll be working with closely to refine this program and make it effective. In exchange for early participation, those influencers will be grandfathered in at the highest level of commission that will ever be offered in this program. To learn more about the program and the referral numbers necessary to generate a four-figure monthly side income, visit nomadprep.com advocates and apply today. That URL again is nomadprep.com advocates. Help aspiring nomads make the leap and get paid for doing so. You've been listening to the Nomad Podcast. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, transcripts, show notes, photos, and more, visit nomadpodcast.com. Nomad Podcast is supported in part by Nomad Prep, an online academy to help aspiring digital nomads make a successful transition. Take the first four days free by visiting nomadprep.com forward slash podcast.